You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the RAND Corporation. I'm Deanna Lee. And I'm Evan Banks. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from RAND's latest research and commentary. It's January 14th. Geoengineering is the intentional manipulation of the climate. It includes a wide range of technologies. For example, geoengineering could be firing sticks of silver iodide into the atmosphere to produce precipitation, or suspending tiny particles in the stratosphere to block the sun's rays, or installing massive filters and underground pumps to siphon carbon from the air. These technologies are quickly emerging as a potential set of tools to address global warming. To learn more, RAND researchers recently looked at where geoengineering is now, where it's headed, and what the international community should do to prepare for the potential risks. So let's talk about those risks. From the examples I just shared, you can probably imagine how the effects of geoengineering technologies could get out of hand quickly. For instance, take using microscopic particles to stop the sun's rays. If those particles were to dissipate, the effect could be the climatic equivalent of opening a shaken-up bottle of carbonated water. And beyond these unintended effects on climate, geoengineering could also lead to conflict if one country's climate tinkering works against the interests of another country. And currently, this is a concern, because there is no international agreement or enforcement mechanism that directly addresses the use of geoengineering technologies. According to our researchers, world leaders need to take steps to establish international agreements with provisions to ensure that the use of these technologies is well-researched, well-regulated, and well-supported. They also need to establish clear sanctions if a country doesn't follow these rules. The time to act is now, they say, while the risks of geoengineering are still theoretical. Monday's talks in Geneva revealed an issue at the heart of the Russia-Ukraine crisis, Ukraine's aspirations to NATO membership. According to Rand Samuel Cherup, NATO may be able to clarify this issue and possibly avert a conflict. The reality is that NATO has no plan to offer membership to Ukraine, Cherup says. The Allies could state this publicly, instead of just behind closed doors, in exchange for a tangible drawdown of Russian forces at the Ukraine border. Quote, It concedes nothing to declare that NATO is not planning to do something it has no intention of doing anyway. If acknowledging this reality averts a conflict that might destroy Ukraine and destabilize Europe, that seems like a small price to pay. Working outside of the home during the pandemic significantly increases the risk of exposure to COVID-19. This not only threatens workers' personal and family health, but it may also result in high medical expenses and lost wages. This has sparked a debate about whether and how states allow individuals to seek workers' compensation for a COVID-19 diagnosis. On one side, labor groups argue that covering losses related to COVID-19 through the workers' compensation system offers protection for vulnerable workers. But business groups argue that, given the difficulties in contact tracing and the virus's three- to five-day incubation period, it would be unfair to require insurers to pay benefits to workers who could have contracted the disease outside of work. 
And those benefits would ultimately mean costs passed along to employers in the form of higher premiums. A new RAND paper aims to help inform this discussion, examining the initial efforts to grant vulnerable workers access to workers' comp benefits during the pandemic, assessing the potential impacts of continuing to expand this access on workers, employers, and insurers, and outlining the important considerations for policymakers going forward. As usual, you can find the paper on RAND.org. Biologics are complex drugs that are manufactured in living systems and used to treat a wide range of conditions, including diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, and cancer. Biosimilars are comparable to already approved biologics in terms of their potency, safety, and efficacy, but they are manufactured by different companies. A new RAND study finds that using biosimilar drugs could save an estimated $38.4 billion from 2021 to 2025. Notably, most of these expected savings would be caused by downward pressure on the brand name biologics that biosimilars compete with, rather than lower prices on biosimilar drugs. Because biologics account for a rapidly increasing share of overall U.S. prescription drug spending, these potential savings could be even greater. For example, in the most optimistic scenario the study considered, more aggressive biosimilar uptake could deliver as much as $124.5 billion in savings over that same four-year period. But lead author Andrew Mulcahy notes that there are many uncertainties in how biosimilars in the U.S. will evolve over time. Future research, he says, should focus on the likely effects of specific policy proposals and assessing how the number of competitors, market size, and other factors could drive savings. Every year, close to 200,000 active duty service members leave the military and join the community of American veterans. As they transition from military to civilian life, a key component of the benefits they receive is funding for post-service education, including through the post-9-11 GI Bill. According to a new RAND paper, these benefits likely ease the shift into a civilian life, but there has been little research on how these benefits help veterans. For example, most large civilian data sets that might offer insights into this issue provide few details on veterans' military service. They do not distinguish between those who served in the enlisted ranks and former officers, nor do they indicate whether veterans used education benefits. Another gap? Considerably less is known about veterans' experiences with the post-9-11 GI Bill than veterans' experiences with the original GI Bill. For these and other reasons, the authors highlight the need for longitudinal data collection on veterans' transition experiences, their use of benefits, and their long-term education and career outcomes. Additionally, it's important to examine how specific experiences and skills that service members acquire in the military map onto their post-military experiences. This paper is the latest in a series we're calling Issues in Focus which explores pressing policy issues that affect veterans, their families, and their communities. To explore the series in its entirety, visit veterans.rand.org. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. 
For more on what we covered in this episode, check the show notes at rand.org slash podcast. We'll see you next week.